Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Well, it's so good to be with you, Soul City. And for those of you that I don't know, I'm her. Uh, (laughs) My name is Jeannie Stevens, and I have the privilege of being one of the founding uh, lead pastors here at Soul City. And it's just such such a humbling and honoring privilege to be able to share this with you today. 80 years, 959 months, 4,171 weeks, 29,200 days, 700,800 hours, 42,048,000 minutes. That's the average lifespan of a person. Now, there's some give and some take, but if you live to around 80 years of age, these are the numbers of your life. And I wonder... I wonder how many of those years, months, weeks, days, hours, and minutes are you really here? Like here, here. Like awake and alive and inhaling and exhaling in this now moment, the here and now. How many of you have have ever found yourself taking a picture and then you post it on social media and you use the caption, I'm here for it? Or or maybe you've said, we out here, right? And the picture was kind of you in some cute little pose, you know, with, with the peace sign, right? You're like, oh shoot, I just did that when I walked into church today, right? Like, I wonder how many of us are fully present and here when we're claiming it with our cute pictures and our peace signs. I wonder how many of the moments when we are trying to look present, are we fully present? And honestly, I think many of us are like, what's so hard about being here? It sounds so simple. The problem is that most of us actually don't know how to do it. We kind of go through our lives unconsciously or habitually forming thoughts and judgments without knowing what we're doing or why we're thinking or feeling what it is that we're thinking and feeling. We just kind of react our way through life. We're here, but not really here. I bet you felt like this. Anyone? I know I have. And in the process, we become disconnected from what's happening in our lives, even disconnected from our own bodies, hearts, and minds, living in what was or all of our what ifs, and we forget how to be here in what is. There have been countless research studies done on the impact of distraction and multitasking and trying to hold lots of confusing circumstances all at once. But being present is not just about learning what to do with our devices or or how to better spend our time. Being present is about all of you all the way here. There was actually a study done by the Harvard Research Group a while back on how often people are really present. 
And what they did was they chose 2,000 people, a little over 2,000 people, to participate in this study. And during the research, the way that they collected their data was simply by checking in with people at random times. And so what they did was they gave people uh, an app to put on their phone that would periodically send them an alert. And the only rule was when they received the alert, they had to record what they were doing at that moment and what their mind was focused on. And so what they did was they took all of those quarter of a million data points over a stretch of time and they found that 47% of the time the people in the study were not fully paying attention. They were not fully engaged with what was right in front of them. So what that means is that half the time, people are not really here. In a 10 second period of time, five of those seconds, you're somewhere else. Now I've been talking for mostly four minutes now, and of those four minutes, that means that two of those minutes you were somewhere else. And my hope is that maybe you were on a beach with one of those fancy, you know, drinks in your hand with an umbrella coming out of it, because that's never a bad place to be, right? But the reality is that every pain point and tension and disconnection in our work and our relationships and in our lives, it stems back to not being present. Every single one of them. When your thoughts race at night, when you find yourself avoiding situations where something could go wrong, when you find yourself repeating the same fight with your partner over and over again. When you find yourself thinking that one day your life will be better. When you fix that problem or or lose that weight or get that job or have that relationship. When you numb out with any kind of medicator or addiction to not face what's going on in the present. When you avoid your inbox or your text messages because they've piled up to a point that feels unmanageable, when you replay a conversation that already happened over and over and over again, when you are simply at the point where you don't even know the point you're at, but you're at a point. Listen, we've all been there. Every single one of us, we know those tensions, don't we? And it's connected to not being here. And it's not how God created us to live. We were not made to go through life on autopilot. We were made for the here and the now. And we will never experience the peace of God if we don't get in the present with God. Did you get that? We'll never experience the peace of God. And anybody want to experience more peace in their life? I know I do. We will never experience the peace of God if you don't dwell in the present with God. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. God is ever-present. I always used to just think about God as omnipresent, that he is everywhere, but God is ever-present, and that means that God is with you in this now moment. I mean, ever present is as present as it gets, right? 
And while God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the only place to actually experience the presence of God, that ever-present help of God, is in the present with God. I love how Father Richard Rohr says it. He says, we cannot attain the presence of God because we're already in the presence of God. What's absent is awareness. What's absent is awareness. Friends, the present is God's zip code. The present, it's God's zip code and it's the place where God wants us to live. God is never not present. We're the ones missing from the present. And the truth about me when it comes to living in the present is that a number of years ago, I felt like I was living everywhere but nowhere. Here, but not really here. And when we were just a few years into starting Soul City, uh, so much about our lives felt miraculous and exciting and, and people were finding community and connection. And, and week after week, I witnessed people encountering healing and hope in our whole world. You know, it, it kind of just revolved around this little five block radius and the energy and the electricity uh, of a fast growing neighborhood was mesmerizing. And I felt like I was smack dab in the middle of a dream come true. The problem was there were two sides to my life. On the other side of, of all of the excitement and that momentum was an exhausted and drained woman. And there was a gnawing ache that lived in the pit of my stomach and all my different roles felt harder and heavier than they once were. Wife and mother and daughter and sister and, and boss and pastor and neighbor, it felt like everyone needed something from me and I was only bringing leftovers to the table. Leadership decisions around here were growing in complexity and life felt heavy and hard and my mind felt distracted all the time. I was tired, I was dry, and I was overwhelmed. But... When people asked me how everything was going, I would say, it's fine. <laughs> With that smile on my face, it's fine. And in some ways, the word fine was the best descriptor for me to use. Our, our kids were fine, our marriage was fine, the church was fine, life was fine, but fine is not what God intended for our lives. And denial is the worst kind of lie because it's the lie you tell yourself. And I, I remember my inner flares of fear and wanting to make it all slow down, but I didn't know how to sound the alarm and to let myself really be seen. I was better at the other side of my life. I felt accomplished there. I was good at those things. But those same things were what flattened and silenced all the signals that were screaming that something was really wrong. I wasn't sleeping well. My weight yo-yoed up and down. My self-care 
It happened in fits and spurts. I was overwhelmed more than I was at peace. But fine was my answer on how everything was going. And the truth is, I didn't think I was lying to myself or anyone else. I just didn't want to face what I had been pushing down. In short, I ignored all the evidence that I was far from fine. I silenced my intuition. I swallowed my emotions and I described my symptoms as it's just a busy season. And the truth is that my performance was Oscar worthy. But I knew, I knew I was anything from fine. And the reason I wasn't fine was because I was not fully here. You know, like when you go to the mall or to the airport and you're trying to figure out where you need to go and, and, and you need to get to the nearest Auntie Anne's, right? Because like you always want a hot, salty pretzel, right? And, and you're in, come on, you all have been Auntie Anne's and they're in every mall and airport, right? And you go to the directory, right? And you look on that big map and what do you look for? You look for the big pin that says, you are here, right? And what I realized was I was not living here, I was not living in the here and the now and on the doorsteps of burnout and wanting to avoid a full-blown breakdown. I reached out to a spiritual mentor that, that helped me grapple with everything that was swirling in my life and he helped me realize I would never know how to get to where I wanted to be if I didn't figure out where I was. And I'll never forget, we were sitting in a corner bakery having a cup of coffee, and he simply said, with a smile on his face, I don't, I don't think you know where you are. And I was like, yeah, I do. We're in the corner bakery, right? Like, we're, we're having a cup of coffee. And he smiled, and he just said, yeah, your body's here, but are you here? And his question, it was so loving, but it was so piercing. And tears instantly started streaming down my face. And he said, peace is not in the past or in the future. Peace is found when you can be in the here and the now with God. Which is when he introduced me to the question, What's here now? What's here now? It's a simple question to help you pay attention to your present location. You know, what's so funny is real estate agents, they regularly say what? Location, location, location. It's the key when buying and selling a home, right? But I actually believe location, location, location is the key to living with peace in your life. Learning how to locate yourself in the present moment is what helps us experience being present with God, ourselves, and one another. 
So as we were sitting in that corner bakery, and when he introduced this question to me, what's here now, he told me about this app. It's called Mind Jogger. And, and he said, you can download it, and you can type in anything you want to be reminded of throughout the day. You can tell it to, to be sporadic or random, or you can tell it to remind you at certain times. And so I downloaded this app, I typed in the question, all caps, what's here now? And I made a commitment to God and to myself that whenever the question showed up on my phone, I would take a deep breath, I would pause, and I'd answer the question, what's here now? And what's so fascinating is that when it first started popping up on my phone, I realized most of the time, I was not here. I I was either rehashing the past or I was rehearsing the future. Rehashing the past is simply trying to change something that has already happened. And let me tell you, you know some things that I love to do in this life? I love to change things. I love to change things. And so I was really good at rehashing the past, trying to change things that had already happened. The other place that I realized I was regularly hanging out was I was rehearsing the future. And do you know what rehearsing the future is? It's just trying to control something that hasn't yet happened. And if you think I like to change things, Oh, my love affair with control. I mean, I love it so much, right? Who doesn't love to control all the things we can't control? But rehashing the past is just trying to change something that has already happened. Rehearsing the future is trying to control something that hasn't yet happened. And receiving the present is choosing to experience what is occurring here and now. And rehashing and rehearsing were how I was spending the majority of my life. But here's the thing. The past is a great place to learn from, but it is a terrible place to live. And the future is a great place to hope for, but it is an impossible place to live in. The present is the only place where God lives, and it's where God invites us to live. And I started to realize that if it's not happening now, it's not happening. You get that? If it's not happening now, like right now, it's not happening. Yet, lots of times when we're not living in the present, it's because we're rehashing and we are rehearsing all the things that aren't occurring in the now. And over the next few weeks, what I so long to do is just help us all understand, help us all understand how we rehash the past and how we rehearse the future and how we can start living with God in the present moment. You see, when it comes to rehashing the past, I have found that there there are some common places most of us go. And there are some signs to look for when we are living in the what was instead of the what is. And one of the first places that we tend to go when we leave this present moment 
is we go to blame. Blame's one of the first indicators of someone that is rehashing the past. And blame is simply directing personal responsibility to someone or something else. And blame certainly ties a rope around your thoughts, pulling you to the past as you direct, defend, and even deceive yourself or others away from feeling the weight of responsibility. And what blame does is blame just helps you temporarily feel better. It's lovely, isn't it? Blame temporarily feels better because blame always feels better than remorse. It gives you a way out. But when we let blame run the show in our lives, we lock ourselves up in a moment in the past that has a hold over our heart, mind, body, and soul in the present. You know, a few months ago, Jarrett and I found ourselves kind of stuck um, in some patterns, and, and we were not getting ourselves unstuck on our own. And so we reached out to a therapist and asked if we could do some sessions with her. And in that very first session, she had us, we were on Zoom and we were sitting at our kitchen counter and and she had us turn our stools and face one another and look each other in the eyes and answer the question, the thing I am bringing to our relationship that is keeping us from connection is the following. And I was like, how about we do it differently? How about we do it the thing you're bringing to our relationship that's keeping us from connection is the following, right? I mean, I was, I was like, oh, oh no, we're, we're not doing this, are we? I wanted her to, to start by letting me air all of my, my grievances and my complaints my frustrations as to why the blame was solely on Jarrett for our broken patterns. But as she led us through the exercise, it essentially was an opportunity to let go of blame and take responsibility for how we were causing disconnection in our relationship. And in the coming minutes, as we went back and forth and back and forth, I watched as defensiveness and blame started to slowly evaporate in that moment. We were softened, and we were able to see one another in a different way. And as we were finishing up the session, I was like, so Joy, her name is Joy, I was like, so I kind of have a question for you. Like, how do you do this all the time? How do you live like this? And I will never forget what she said. She said, well, in our marriage, one of the ways that we, we practice having a strong marriage is we have just chosen to live undefended. To which I said, how on earth is that possible? (laughs) To which she said, the only way to do it is if you live in the present moment. You have to live in the present moment with one another. 
Now, blame is not the only culprit pulling us to rehash the past. Another one that likes to pull us out of the present moment and rehash the past is shame. And shame, a friend of mine likes to say, is self-hatred at my expense. Spell that out. S-H-A-M-E. Self-hatred at my expense. And shame can come from things you've done or things done to you. Things you've said or things that have been said to you. Something that occurred last week or something that occurred decades ago. And shame is a deep and often debilitating feeling that causes you to believe you are broken or bad and therefore not worthy of belonging. And shame has one simple goal, to get you to believe that you are unworthy of love. And shame's goal is to keep us in the past so that we can't experience present healing. And shame, it's not a new problem, but at at one point, it was an unknown experience for humans. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, in the Bible, it tells us in Genesis 2.25 that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's the actual passage, Genesis 2.25. Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. Now, it's pretty easy to pay attention to the physical state of Adam and Eve. They were naked. And in fact, when people tell me that the Bible is boring, I often like to point out verses like this. I mean, in the very beginning, quite exciting, right? Uh, but it's not just their physical state that gets a mention. The emotional state of Adam and Eve is clear. They felt no shame. I think God wants us to know there was no shame because God knows how deadly shame can be in our lives. And if you know the story, Adam and Eve eventually did the one thing that God said not to do. They bit into that honey crisp apple, and I know it was a honey crisp because those are the best apples, and immediately shame entered into their story. And the human story changed forever. Adam and Eve, they hid from God. Adam blamed Eve, and they sewed together fig leaves to cover themselves up. And what does God do in that moment? When God goes looking for them in the garden, he asks a very important question to them. He says, Adam, Eve, where are you? Now listen, It's God, okay? God always wins at hide and seek, right? (laughs) He knew where they were. He wanted them to pay attention to where they were. It's as if God whispers for the first time, what's here now? And shame has kept us locked in the past from the beginning of time. And one of the first ways to face the shame in our lives is to bring it into the present moment. Shame wants you to stay isolated in the past, but I have found the danger of isolation is greater than the risk of intimacy. So blame and shame, these are two of the ways we rehash the past. Another way we rehash the past is through unprocessed grief. Unprocessed grief. And grief is essentially 
deep sorrow from a loss that changes the present. It's that deep sorrow from a loss that changes our present moment. And anyone that has walked through change has walked through loss. And all loss changes us. And all loss needs to be grieved. Now, there are, of course, different levels of grief and no loss is the exact same, but all loss is worthy of being grieved. I remember distinctly when my kids were little and I could tell they were moving out of one phase into another. And, and, and they had always been kids that asked for my help, right? Mom, will you help me do this? Will you help me cut my food? Will you help me get dressed? Will you help me get to school? And, and then I started noticing it. They wanted to walk to school on their own without me. When I came to pick them up, they wanted me to stay a safe 10 feet away from them as if I was going to like bring their cool score down a little bit, right? It was a change. It was a loss. It deserved grief. I was moving into a new phase of parenting. Now, those are the the smaller losses in life. And then there are those losses that literally take our breath away, right? It was nothing like grieving the sudden death of my dad. And then years later, my younger brother. That loss was undoing to me. There are all different kinds of losses in our lives. And I've walked with friends through the loss of a spouse. I've watched Friends walk through the loss of a marriage, the loss of a dream, the loss of a child, the loss of income, even the loss of hope. And there are, of course, the smaller losses of life, and then there are those ones that we find ourselves crying out to God, saying, where are you? Where are you, God? And when grief enters our life, we always have a choice to either give in to the grief or to go into the grief. And they're very different. You see, giving in to grief, it keeps us in the past and it leaves us powerless to every painful wave of loss that laps up on the shores of our souls. It's as if every single day you are back at that exact moment that the loss happened. But going into grief is the deep, arduous work of processing grief and processing it in the present. I love that we have small groups around here literally designed to help people grow through grief. Because grief is hard. No one ever goes looking for more grief in their life. I have never once said, God, could I have some more grief in my life? Never once. And while we may feel powerless as we process our grief, we are not meant to stay in our past losses. We are meant to grow through and even bear fruit through our losses. You know, I will never forget uh, the days after my dear friend Tamara, who's a part of this church, she's one of our elders here, um, 
And Tamara lost her husband, Jeremiah, through a courageous battle with cancer. And I remember being in their home and sitting on her bed as we were looking through Jeremiah's closet for something. And I will never forget Tam looking at me. and saying, I don't want to do this. I don't know how to do this. And with tears in both of our eyes, I just said, Tam, don't fight grief. Don't fight grief. Don't give in to the grief. Go into it. Let God do all that he wants to do. And when you need to cry, cry. When you need to scream, scream. Don't fight it. Let it do its work. And so many of us are so afraid of grief that we fight the grief. But God wants to produce something in us through that grief. And I know, I know because I have done so much grief work in my life, I know that loss hurts and it hurts sometimes unspeakably. But I will tell you, as I've watched my friend Tamara walk these past years, I am in awe of the fruit that has been produced in her life who she is. It still hurts. She still misses Jeremiah every single day, but the fortitude and the perseverance and the power of God at work in, my Tam- in Tamara's life, it's unimaginable. And the only place where we heal from grief is when we bring it into the present. And it's not just blame or shame or grief that go after us to keep us rehashing the past. Bitterness Bitterness has this way of of holding us in the past. And bitterness is simply a grudge that has a hold on your heart. Another way to define it is unforgiveness. And bitterness is all about letting go. And guess what's really hard? Letting go. I am never at the front of the line when God invites me to let go of something. Never once was I like, oh God, thank you for leading me through this beautifully, spiritually transforming process where I had to let go of all of these things that I love holding on to. I have never once prayed like that. And this is especially true with bitterness. Because the longer you hold a grudge, the longer the grudge has a hold on you. And when unforgiveness grips you, you will never have freedom in your life. Bitterness is desperate for you to keep the past alive as resentment attacks your very life force, silently hurting you from the inside out. And hoarding past hurts is just tricking yourself into stockpiling all the past words and actions into an oversized debt that can never be paid. And unforgiveness, it blocks us from vision. It locks us out of the present and it keeps us from having hope about the future. 
and letting go of past pain. It's not, it's not a suggestion to just lay aside important boundaries or to excuse injustice, inequality, or inequity. When we let go, we don't forget the damage done or say it doesn't matter, but we release the power that the past bitterness is bringing into the present moment. And the final way we rehash the past is through guilt. It's through guilt. And guilt is that silent suffering that happens on the inside of us from mistakes that we've made. And guilt is this self-conscious emotion committed to rehashing past experiences that have not been repaired or released in our present reality. And guilt turns us inward, revealing that our insides don't match our outsides. This is the self-conscious part of guilt. It's almost like a great way to to think about guilt is it's like a a persistent telemarketer, (laughs) right? Guilt doesn't give up until you pick up the phone and listen to it. And guilt is felt in the heart, it's held in the body, and it is replayed in the mind over and over and over again. And regret from the past can have so much power over your present life. I think about David in Psalm 69, after he was filled with remorse and guilt over the mistakes that he made, after having an affair and plotting the murder of of the woman's husband, just listen to the words that David says. He says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. Those are words that sound like guilt. The waters are up to my neck. I'm sinking into a miry depth. I'm worn out calling for help. Guilt wants to keep you in the gutter from whatever gaffes and mistakes you've made in your life. And God is always guiding us back to the present moment. And all of these, all of these are ways we rehash the past. And whenever you find blame, shame, grief, bitterness, or guilt showing up somewhere in your life, you are certain that you're not in the present moment. You're not in the present moment. You're kind of walking around the present moment. But friends, this isn't where God designed us to live. God designed us to be here. To be here. And these are all just ways that we kind of think about life instead of living our lives. I love what Father Richard Rohr says. He says, we do not think ourselves into new ways of living. We live ourselves into new ways of thinking. And the spiritual practice of asking the question, what's here now, is how to start living out new ways of thinking. You know, when Jesus was asked, 
What's the single most important thing? What's the most important thing for, for us to remember in our lives? What's the one commandment? If we don't get anything out of all these other teachings that you've given to us, Lord, what's the one thing you want us to know? And Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your strength and with all of your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And to do that, we have to pay attention to what is happening in our hearts, what's happening in our souls, what's going on in our bodies and our minds, and asking the question, what's here now? Is the practice of loving God and loving others in the here and now? You know, I I asked myself the question as I was sitting right over here before I got up here. I just simply closed my eyes as you all were worshiping and singing and I just said, God, what's here now? And I said, what what am I sensing in my body? And I felt all kinds of butterflies in my stomach. A little bit of tension in my neck and shoulders. I asked, what am I feeling in my heart, God? Excited, scared, nervous, tender. And what am I thinking in my mind? And these are all the thoughts that kind of ran through my mind. This is my first time teaching this. This has changed my life. I hope it makes sense. I hope it's helpful. I hope it's useful. Jeannie, when you get really excited, you talk really fast, so slow down. God, help me be here. Be me. And fully belong to you, to myself. And to the people of this church. And when you ask those questions, what am I sensing in my body? What am I feeling in my heart? And what am I thinking in my mind? You simply do what Jesus invited us to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And all you do is you notice. You notice what's here now. You name it. And then you allow God to nurture whatever is here in this present moment. I noticed what was happening in my body. Butterflies. I noticed what was going on in my heart. Excited, nervous, scared, all those things. I named it. And then I allowed God to bring loving nurture to what's here now. And this is as simple as it is. This is how you return to the present moment. This is how you can be here and be you and fully belong to God and yourself and the people in your life. God is here in the present and this is where God invites you to live. This is where God wants me to live. And I want to invite you to stand and to practice the gift of this present moment. So if you'd stand with me, I'd love to pray with you. Sometimes when I'm trying to practice the present moment. Sometimes I just have to open up my hands 
Sometimes I have to put my hands over my heart. Whatever is, is best for you, whatever posture helps you be present in this now moment. And so God, we just wanna say thank you. Thank you that you are an ever-present help in trouble. Thank you that we can never not be in your presence. That if we go up to the heavens, you are there. If we lie in the depths, you are there. You are always present. And God, would you help us to do the same? And so we just quietly ask this question, God, what's here now? What are you sensing in your body? What are you feeling in your heart? And what are you thinking in your mind? Jesus, we want to be people that live in the present, that are free in the present, so that we can experience your peace and your presence. We love you, God. Oh, we love you so much. And we pray this in your name. Amen.